Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from 1 Peter chapters 4 and 5. 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, because Christ suffered in flesh, arm yourselves with the same mindset, because the one who has suffered in flesh is done with sin. Do this, so that you are no longer living the rest of your time in your flesh for human desires, but for God's will. Indeed, you have already spent enough time in the past doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in unbridled immorality, lusts, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and disgusting idolatry. For this reason, they are surprised that you do not plunge into the same overflowing river of filth with them, and they slander you. They will have to give an account to the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. In fact, it was for this reason that the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, so that they might be judged the same way people are judged in flesh, and that they might live the way God lives in spirit. The end of all things is near, so have sound judgment and be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Above all, love each other constantly, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Serve one another, each according to the gift he has received, as good stewards of the many forms of God's grace. If anyone speaks, let him do it as one speaking the messages of God. If anyone serves, let him do it as one serving with the strength God supplies, so that God may be glorified in every way through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is happening among you to test you, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, rejoice whenever you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted in connection with the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or as a meddler. But if you suffer for being a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God in connection with this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now if it begins with us, what will be the end for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, where will the ungodly sinner end up? So let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to their faithful Creator while doing what is good. That was 1 Peter chapter 4. The opening section here of 1 Peter chapter 4 is a parallel to the closing section from 1 Peter chapter 3 that really began toward the last part, uh, beginning in verse 17. Indeed, it is better if it is God's will for you to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Because Christ also suffered once for sins in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And that's where Peter went on to talk about Christ um, after his vivification, descending into hell and making a proclamation or preaching to the spirits in prison. The content of that proclamation, the content of the preaching, the exact same that we preach from our pulpits today, that Christ is risen and that he has won. And Peter picks up on that same theme about suffering, and he makes an application from the the suffering of Christ. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mindset, because the one who suffered with the flesh is done with sin. The thought shifts from Christ on the cross to the Christ of Gethsemane, who spoke that yes, as he bowed his head, yes, Lord, your will be done, which presented to him that cup of suffering and death. 
and Peter writing to these believers in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, who are likely experiencing and will be experiencing even greater persecution for their faith, who will have to suffer for the name of Christ, Peter encourages them to arm themselves with that same thought, to let the mind of Christ who died for them be the guiding thought of their minds, to think his thought, to will his will, that is to bow the head before God and say, not my will, but your will be done. These Christians are to arm themselves as the battle will both be won against the temptation to give up on Jesus as well as the continual pull to return to their Gentile past, to return to the temptations of the past. And the past certainly is hard to shake, as Peter says in verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. It is a minor way the the minority way, I suppose, where the majority is following along in that flood of dissipation, where they are following and being driven along by their own desires and chasing after the fulfillment of those desires. But the Christian stands firm. And in a sense, that most certainly is suffering. There is the suffering internally, the suffering of temptation between the pull of the sinful flesh and the new life of the Christian saying, no, that is not the way. That is not the one who is in charge. I am a Christian. I am not being driven along by blind lust and by by you know hormones and by all of my wishes and desires of my sinful flesh that is not who i am i was bought as a price at a price and that price was the blood of jesus my savior that's why peter says therefore arm yourselves with the same mindset he uses that militaristic term exactly as Paul, who was writing at the end of Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6, talked about arming oneself with the full armor of God, because the Christian will be tempted from within and belittled from without, from outside. And that is a battle. That is a battle to say that this Jesus is worth it, even despite my own inclination, my, the, the pull of my sinful flesh, the temptation that I experience now, the belittling and the suffering and the, even the persecution, whether great or minor, that I experience, and the lack of the apparent joy or the happiness of being both involved in that group and even the pleasure that would be derived from that particular sin. So Peter, knowing that these are the problems that are facing those fellow Christians, and he needs to encourage them, he turns their eyes back to the way God has acted in the past and what God has accomplished in the past. Verse 6, in fact, well, verse 5 and 6, they will have to give an account to the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead, that the judge is coming soon. And verse 6, in fact, it was for this reason that the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, so that they might be judged the same way that people are judged in the flesh and that they might live in the way God lives in the spirit. And what Peter is saying here is that according to the flesh, Christianity does look hopeless. According to the flesh, Christianity looks like we have a dead savior. And one might say, looking backward, well, what's the point? The ones who followed the Christian faith and the ones who didn't, they all died. Even the savior they trusted in died. And that's where the linchpin of the argument of Peter comes through. And that was exactly what he had said back in chapter 3, that this one who has risen from the dead and has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the temptations of this world a lie. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the accusations of this world a lie. 
and that resurrection of Jesus Christ makes the pull of your sinful flesh powerless. And that truth, that truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is hidden in weakness. That truth was brought into your life through your holy baptism, and Jesus still hides his power and his glory in weakness. And so it is that Christians live in this world having to deal with the suffering of temptation, the suffering of persecution, the suffering of doubt and even despair, the suffering of wondering how much longer they would be able to hold out. And indeed, nobody would be able to, except for the fact that the living hope we have is this exuberant hope that is intended exactly as Peter said back in chapter 1, verse 8, with this joy that is inexpressible and glorious, that though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with this inexpressible, glorious joy. This joy is not some some empty-headed intoxication But the command, be sober and be alert, is one of vigilance. And this is heard early in the letter, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 13 as well, where Peter had said, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, be ready. (laughs) Be prepared for action. And take take up the battle each day. Take up the battle against temptation. And that... That sober hope is exactly the theme that will carry us through the end of chapter 5 as well. Um, beginning with First Peter chapter 5, reads like this, Therefore, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and as one who also shares in the glory that is about to be revealed, I appeal to the elders among you. Shepherd God's flock that is among you, serving as overseers, not grudgingly, but willingly as God desires, not because you are greedy for money, but because you are eager to do it. Do not lord it over those entrusted to your care, but be examples for the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, young men, be submissive to those who are older, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble." Therefore, humble yourselves under God's powerful hand so that he may lift you up at the appointed time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have sound judgment. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him by being firm in the faith. You know that the same kind of suffering are being laid on your brotherhood all over the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I have written to you briefly, through Silas, whom I consider a faithful brother, in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is chosen along with you, greets you. So does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. And you note that that tone of hope, that there is an end to suffering, that Jesus will return, that our faith is not in vain, but that Jesus, Jesus will follow through and come through exactly as he says. And when, 
when Peter's talking about the approaching end of all things, he calls for this sober vigilance and prayer, a life of love and mutual ministry to the glory of God through Jesus Christ, exactly as he said um, at the closing verses of verse 7, or of chapter chapter 4, rather, verses 7 through 11. If you have your paper Bible available, uh, check out chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, when he says that the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray, and a number of other encouragements based on based on the reality that the end is near. But Jesus has given us a fellowship, a family of believers here together. Dear Christians, let us pray for one another. And obviously, as you could probably tell, this is one of those books that, that many pastors really enjoy and many lay people as well, and we could talk about it all day. <laughs> but what do we learn from Peter today? The first is a why. Why do we do this? Especially when human reason and fallen human reason and our sinful flesh and the world around us would say, Dear Christian, you must be out of your mind. Why do you believe what that Bible says? And the answer, of course, is that this Jesus has risen from the dead, and this Jesus has promised that he will not leave us alone, that this Jesus has not abandoned us, but that he will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And most of all, that Jesus has, yes, all authority in heaven and on earth, but he has gone through this suffering ahead of us because God hides his glory in weakness. God hides his greatest power in suffering. And that's, that's not exactly a pleasant thing for us to understand. And that's true of every person at every place and every time, because the sinful flesh hates the idea of suffering and loves the idea of leisure. But God hides his greatest glory under suffering, because think of the glory that he has accomplished, that he gave his own son to suffer under Pontius Pilate, and he has given to you the treasure of heaven. He has promised you eternal life with him. He has promised you the reality of standing in his presence for all eternity and with no, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. That is why. The second question is, how? How shall we stand firm? Well, by praying for one another, by praying with one another, by being sober-minded and alert, by being alert, yes, to the world around us, but alert especially to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, alert to the needs of even our local community, so that we, by the way we conduct ourselves, may be blameless and without reproach on that day when Jesus comes, so that by our actions and by our attitudes, they wouldn't have any reason against us personally to dislike or persecute God's people. We have a why, we have a how, and now a what. What can you do that would encourage another Christian? What can you do to provide and help provide opportunity for Christians to gather together, whether at church or in a smaller group at somebody's home? What can you do to speak of this grace with someone who needs to know it? What can you do? to share somebody's contact information with pastor with their permission and say, is it okay if my pastor calls you? Because he knows suffering. He knows the God of all who has gone through this suffering. And he knows the blessing that God wants to bring to you through that suffering. Thanks so much for joining us. God bless your day. <laughs>